the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Real Life Radio is sponsored by River City Community Church. Grace and peace to you and welcome to Radio for Real Life with Sean Azaro, the pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. A church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for and find it to the full. That's what Jesus said in John 10.10. And today, Pastor Sean is going to talk about that very verse. Sometimes we get too caught up in the routine of church, services, events, serving, songs, holidays, that we forget our mission. Now, none of these things are necessarily bad, but are pointless if we lose our purpose and why we are here. What is God's vision for the church, a church for real life? Pastor Sean says John 10.10 is where it's at. It's time for Radio for Real Life. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me? John 10.10. We're going to talk about a church for real life. Now, it's a phrase we've used. You've probably heard it if you've been around. In fact, people are even putting it on clothes. It's bizarre, these people walking around with shirts. I want us to talk about who are we, really? Why are we here? What is God's vision for us in our community? You know, he has a vision for the community. And he has a vision for the church in it. And this church for real life thing for us is very personal. It's very personal for me. And it's something that goes even beyond, goes back beyond the beginning of this fellowship. The idea comes from a passage of scripture, John 10.10. Jesus is speaking, and he says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Another translation says, have it more abundantly. And when God was doing some work in my heart early on and in the heart of some of us who were kind of just praying about what he was asking, that we paraphrase that idea. A church for real life. I've come that they might have life And have it to the full. That they might have real life. The life they were created for. Now that's from a passage of scripture where Jesus talks about being the good shepherd. Right? Very common passage of scripture that you've probably read. Or if you've been around the church at all, maybe you've read. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. But what's interesting is the passage that precedes that. The context and the occasion of this statement is really eye-opening. And I want us to look at John chapter 9. Because in John chapter 9, we see the setting The springboard, if you will, for Jesus making this statement. We're told that he and his disciples are walking along and they saw a man who had been blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him a question that at the time was a fairly reasonable question because it was a fairly common belief. Rabbi, who is it who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? They assumed that if someone was born blind, that there was some sin behind it. Someone had to have screwed up pretty bad for God to have allowed that to happen. And Jesus makes a statement. He says, well, it wasn't this man or his parents, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then Jesus did something that was kind of unusual. He spit on the ground, made some mud, went and took that little mud and put it on the guy's eyes. And you're like, that's just weird. He's Jesus. Couldn't he have just said something? Couldn't he have just prayed for the guy? I don't know. Jesus could do whatever he wants, including spit on the ground and make mud. And so that's what he did. And he puts it on the guy's eyes and he tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And what's funny is John just tells us, so the man went and washed and came home seeing. 
Like, oh yeah, and he swung by the, you know, and picked up some fish for dinner. Jesus does this incredible thing. He makes this mud, puts it on the man's eyes. The man goes, does what he says, washes, and he, all of a sudden he can see for the first time in his life. And John's pretty low-key about it. So he went home, washed, and so he went, washed, and came home seeing. So when he goes back to where he lived, the people who kind of knew him, they knew him as a blind man, they knew him as a beggar. They didn't even recognize him. They're like, wait a minute. That's not him, is it him? And he, and he assures them, yes, it is. And he tells them what Jesus did, tells them the story. And they go, well, where is this man? He says, I don't know, because understand, he'd never seen Jesus. Jesus could have been 100 yards away, he, and, and he wouldn't know. He could have been right there. And he wouldn't have known who he was, because he was blind. He'd never seen him. So they do what was fairly common when there had been a healing or something like that. They bring him to the Pharisees for confirmation. So they bring him to this, this religious council. Now imagine this guy. He's, man, he's just been uh, on the periphery. He has not been, nobody's cared about him. He's been a blind beggar, kind of a nuisance, an object of pity. And all of a sudden he has rushed into this group of religious leaders, this austere group, to confirm what's happened. So he tells them what happened. Now, the scripture tells us something funny. This healing happened on the Sabbath day. And you know the Jews were very careful about what they did. It was a day dedicated for worship, a day dedicated just for, for rest, because God rested on the seventh day, and so they didn't work. These Pharisees get hung up on the fact that the guy was healed on a Sabbath. So they, well, whoever did this healing can't be of God because he did it on the Sabbath. And others are like, yeah, but a blind guy was healed, so that's kind of you know, instructive. And so this debate happens, and here's the blind guy going, you know, I can see you now. So they turn to him and they say, what do you have to say? You know, it was your eyes he opened. And he's like, well, the man's a prophet, which was his way of saying he's clearly of God. So they still don't believe him, right? And they've got this thing because they're all hung up over the fact it was on the Sabbath, or at least that's what we're told at this point. So they send for his parents to question the parents, okay? And the parents are kind of a little bit cagey. They're like, well, he's our son. He was blind. We don't know how he can see. You ask him, he's of age, he can speak for himself. And you're like, wow, that's kind of a weird answer. Why would his parents be like that? Well, we're told in verse 22 of chapter 9 that his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. And that was a big deal to be put out of the synagogue. Synagogue was not just the center of religious worship, it was the center of culture in a Jewish village. To be put out of the synagogue. Disfellowship was a big deal. And so his parents were afraid of that. And it also gives you some, a glimpse into the mindset of these religious leaders. Jesus could have performed this healing on the Sabbath, or he could have performed it on Tuesday at 9 a.m. It wouldn't have mattered. So a second time, they summon the man. The parents don't give him any satisfaction. They had sent the man out. They, send him, they summon him back in. And listen to what they say. This time. They say, give glory to God by telling the truth. They said, we know this man is a sinner. In other words, give God the glory by telling the truth. Say what we want you to say. And he replied, and this is so cool. Listen to verse 25. He says, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. How do you argue with that? Yeah, I don't know about all that. One thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. That is such a powerful statement. It should be a song lyric or something. That would work out really well. I'm going to put that in a song. It's going to be awesome. So now, they're still, okay, they can't answer that. So it says, they ask him again, tell us what he did. And the guy becomes a little bit, now, now he's like, okay, this is ridiculous. 
And he starts to antagonize them because he knows how much they obviously hate Jesus. And so his answer to him is, well, you want me to tell you again? Well, I've already told you. Are you wanting to become one of his disciples too? It's actually what the scripture says. He's taunting them. And so it says in verse 28 that they hurled insults at him. They start, now it's just a fight, okay? This beggar who was blind and now can see against this ruling council of Pharisees. They said, you're this fellow's disciples. Well, we're disciples of Moses. We know that God speaks to Moses, but this guy we don't know anything about. We don't know where he comes from. And, and the, the blind man, who again is obviously a very smart blind man, he spent a lot of time thinking when he couldn't see. He says, well, that's pretty interesting. You claim to be God's leaders, and this guy did something that nobody's ever heard of. Who's ever heard of a blind man being able to see? And yet you don't know anything about him. We know God doesn't listen to sinners. God's not doing the will of sinners. But yet this guy spoke and I was able to see. And listen to this. This is verse 34. I want you to see this. To this they replied. So here he presents this logical case. And they provide, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. I remember the first time I read that, I thought, they are so frustrated. You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? Get out! And they throw them out. I love that. That is the perfect rebuke, by the way. Just keep that, you know. You were steeped in sin at birth. Our three-year-old granddaughter, Ryland, I used it on her the other day. It was very effective. You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture pops? When it says they, by, by the way, that, um, that reference to you were steeped in sin at birth, that, that wasn't as random as it sounds. The first time I read it, I was like, that sounds so random. They're just insulting the guy with that? Really? You couldn't come up with anything better? They're talking about the fact that he was blind. Okay, so obviously he was steeped in sin at birth because you were born blind. You, you were under God's judgment. And they're missing the fact that he's standing there healed. He's standing there seeing them. They missed the whole point. And it says when they threw him out, it's not just they're like, get out, you know, and what it means is they disfellowshipped him. They threw him out of the synagogue, which is what his parents had been afraid of. And so now he's healed, but he's just disfellowshipped. It's interesting. He'd never even seen Jesus. He couldn't point him out in a crowd because he was blind, but he'd just been thrown out of the synagogue for being touched by Jesus. It's one of those things that sadly, I think, even throughout church history and even today, happens far too often. Church structures and institutions are challenged by people who are actually touched by Jesus. And whose lives are changed by Jesus. And they don't know what to do with people who are on fire for Jesus. Isn't it interesting? You notice they were fine having a trial on the Sabbath day. Jesus makes a little mud, puts it on the guy's eyes, says, go wash, and he heals him. And some big violation of the Sabbath. They can have a trial, call the parents, call witnesses, do this whole thing on the Sabbath. No problem. It just goes to show you what was really at work. The, where the real blindness lied. And that's, I think, what's significant for us to grab onto here. Where did the real blindness reside? We want to take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Radio for Real Life with Sean Azaro, the pastor of River City Community Church, in this message called A Church for Real Life, which, by the way, is available right now on the sermon page at reallife.org, where you can even see the video podcast of this message and series. And if you're looking for a new church home, here's your invitation from Pastor Sean. Do you ever look at your life and feel like you were made for something more? 
Jesus made a simple statement. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give you abundant life, real life. I talk to a lot of people, and many seem to feel like they're settling for a whole lot less. Hi, I'm Sean Azaro, pastor of River City Community Church, and we are so convinced that we were made for something better. We call ourselves a church for real life. I'd like to invite you to join us for one of our weekend gatherings, which are an exciting and artistic blend of music, reflection, and practical insights, all designed to explore the life that God meant for us. River City is located a mile and a half outside of Loop 1604 on Lookout Road across from Otama Park. Service times are Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 9.30 and 11.15 a.m. River City is a church for real life, so our home on the web is reallife.org. To find out more, visit us online at reallife.org. God created you for something very special. Come find out more at River City Community Church. Now back to the message at Church for Real Life. This is radio for real life. Picking up at verse 35, Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out. When he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now listen to his response. Who is he, sir? He doesn't know who he's talking to right now. The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus says, well, you've now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I've come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this, and they asked, what? Are we blind too? Jesus said, "Um, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty of sin, but now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Pretty stinging rebuke. It is in that setting That Jesus just continues. We get a chapter break. And that was only put in by editors later so we could find verses, so we could memorize, so we could reference, so we could navigate the sacred scriptures. These chapters and verses weren't originally there. So Jesus just continues. Verily, verily, I tell you who? I tell you Pharisees. Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. Note the language. He's a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper, note that phrase, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him. And the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he's brought them out, all his own, he goes on ahead of them. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees didn't understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, remember, he's still talking to them, to his disciples, to the people around. But he's talking to these Pharisees. Verily, verily, or very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. Note that. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. But they'll come in and go out and find pasture. And then he says this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And then he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So he shares these two metaphors regarding his own ministry, who he is. I am the gate. And we understand in our salvation, the essential gate through which we must go to receive salvation, fellowship with God because of sin. Jesus paid our penalty, our sin penalty on the cross so that we could have life and father. He's that gate. But the, then he used the second metaphor. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the one who the gatekeepers will let in. See, this is a story fundamentally about blindness. 
but about leaders who are blind, misguided leaders, religious leaders. He's talking directly to these religious leaders. He said, he said the sheep don't listen to your voice because they don't recognize you because you're not their shepherd. You're not even the servant of their shepherd. It's about thieves. It's about sheep whom Jesus loves dearly. And it's about the heart of Jesus. That picture of the gatekeepers, that's a great phrase. That's what we spiritual leaders are supposed to be. We're supposed to be gatekeepers. You know, people have used the term under shepherds because we understand Jesus is the good shepherd. And as such, any of us, pastors, leaders, anything like that, we're basically taking care of someone else's sheep, right? We're serving him. It's not our flock. It's his flock. We're serving him. That picture of a gatekeeper, of the one who protects from danger, but who opens the door for the shepherd, who ushers in the shepherd. What a beautiful picture of the job of ministers and leaders. And here Jesus is talking to a group of leaders who had it totally confused. The very work of God kicked down their gates, walks in, and they couldn't recognize him. And they missed it. When Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, he was talking about the enemy and the enemy's work, of course, and we recognize that. But he was talking more specifically about some religious leaders who actually were missing the whole point and were keeping people away from God instead of ushering him into their, ushering them into his presence. That's the thief. He was speaking directly to some Pharisees. I wish I could say that that didn't exist anymore. But I had my eyes opened a little bit. I had my own eye-opening experience a number of years ago. In fact, if you've been to our membership class, you've probably heard me refer to this. Lori and I started a ministry out in Southern California. We were youth pastors. Very cool ministry. But I got involved playing polo, announcing polo games. That was my background. I grew up playing polo. And there was this polo center there in Burbank, not far from where we were. And I got involved doing some kind of, I announced polo games, got paid for that, which was very cool as a youth pastor, not making any money. That was awesome. But I played polo, and I just got, was involved. And it was a very cool opportunity for me because I'm always telling my students, you know, go reach your world for Christ, reach your world for Christ. Well, my world was a church office. So this was a neat opportunity for me to be salt and light, just like all my students. And so I did that. Well, if you've heard me tell the story, you know there was this guy named Sid who was a fired-up, charismatic Christian who worked there. He was a magazine publisher for this equestrian center. I mean, I'd see Sid driving his, his big Cadillac around the, this equestrian center in Burbank. Okay, it's in Burbank, California. I'd see this guy, and I'd see the handout. And people would be, you know, be riding with some guy and be like, what's Sid doing? I knew what Sid was doing. I knew exactly what Sid was doing. You know, he's binding the enemy. He's praying for this place. He's claiming God's grace and peace. But he's got the hand out the window. He doesn't care who sees. You know, I was a little more laid back than Sid. If I were to be doing that, I'd be inside the car, you know. Because God, God, God doesn't care. God doesn't, you know, the, God, you know, he doesn't need the window down. God likes AC. But Sid, he did not care. So he came up to me one day, and he was like, he was like, man, I've been praying for you. You're, I hear you're a pastor, and I've been wanting to do a Bible study, and so we're going to do a Bible study together. And I, I was like, man, that's great, Sid. That's awesome, you know. Um, I told him that I would pray about it. And then I, you know, kind of went and... Uh, that's how we Christians get rid of things we don't want to deal with, right? We say, I'll pray about it. It's kind of the Christian blow-off, you know. I mean, here's the thing. I actually went and I prayed about it. And uh, the minute I did, okay, the minute I stopped thinking about it and going, oh, I'm so busy, because I really was. I had a lot of stuff. But the minute I stopped doing that and I actually prayed, it was like the Lord said, oh, yeah, you're, you're, this is something I'm sending you. You're going to do this. 
I'm like, wow, Lord, I got a lot of stuff. He's like, no, no, no. You, you got an opportunity to tell some lost people about me. You're in. Okay. So I went and I told Sid, I'm in. Told him the, the study, we were going to call it uh, Horseman's Bible Study. We made these little cards. I told him the first theme we're going to talk about is Jesus Christ versus Christianity, what the Bible really says about Jesus. And so we started distributing. I gave him to some of my friends there at the Equestrian Center. Sid dropped his from an airplane over Burbank. I got to tell you we, you, we can make fun of a guy like Sid, but way more of his friends showed up than mine. Okay. I just got to tell you that. All right. But I was blown away by this crowd of people who showed up because there's like 15 people who showed up. And this is a group of people who I had a bias. I had a bias that they wouldn't be terribly interested in a Bible study. Now we were pretty slick. We didn't call it a Bible study. We called it a biblical discussion group. You see what we did there? See, we tricked them. But they were the type of people I didn't think necessarily would be interested in something like this. They were pretty affluent, you know, a lot of them very young, kind of young professionals in Southern California. The only common thread is they had horses and some type of equestrian discipline. But they came out for this study, so I just started teaching. And all I was teaching, you know, Jesus Christ versus Christianity, I just was teaching through the book of Mark. Just telling the stories and kind of going through, and we were doing it. And they come back the next week, there's more of them, which is awesome. Some of these people had no clue about Christianity at all. They didn't have a Bible. I had to tell them where to go and buy a Bible. Well, go to the bookstore, da-da, the guy comes back, he's got a Koran. I'm like, <laughs> wrong aisle. <laughs> Very culturally aware of you, but no. You're, you with the Book of Mormon, you're closer, but no, no. I mean, I mean, but let me just tell you something. When, when you've been a lot of time dealing in the church stuff, how cool and refreshing it is to deal with people who this is, they're just experiencing Jesus for the first time. That is a very cool thing. And, uh, and so we keep going. The third week, there's more of them. And, you know, they're just excited. They're doing homework. They're reading, you know, ahead. And I had to stop in the middle of the lesson on the third week, and I just said to them, I said, guys, i got a question for you. It's been driving me nuts. I said, you obviously want to know who Jesus is and know about him. You obviously want to search the word and find out about him. Why aren't you in a church? Because the vast majority of them, none of them were in a church. And Southern California has a lot of churches, big churches, really good churches, you know? I mean, it's not like there's no churches in Southern California. You know, if you throw a rock, you're going to hit one. I'm like, why aren't you a part of a church? And their answer broke my heart, but totally took me to school a little bit. Because they said the church is irrelevant. They said the church talks about things that have nothing to do with what we actually walk through and what we deal with and what our life is like. They said the church uses, you know, like, like shop talk. You ever been around people in an industry that all use shop talk? You ever gone to maybe your spouse's event at work and they're all talking about shop talk and they say something really nerdy or something, they all laugh and you're like, oh, whatever. That's, that's the way they saw church. <laughs> you can't believe how many spouses. I turn, so I just turn and go, that's exactly what it's like at your work. <laughs> you guys are bad nerds. But they said the church has the church has this lingo and shop talk that doesn't you know it's it's I don't understand it it doesn't it doesn't connect it doesn't relate the dress you got you know many of them have a, a real strict dress code and if you don't you're kind of looked down upon and in Southern California it's very casual and, and then they said the music where do they even get music like that is there some publishing house in Arkansas that cranks this stuff out or something <laughs> they were not being polite either they were quite candid on it. And as I listened, I have to tell you, the part that was most disturbing for me was that everything they said was true of the church that I was on staff at. 
every word of it. And it wasn't, I wasn't on staff at a bad church. There are people who love Jesus. There are people who taught the Bible. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't, I wouldn't have been on staff if it was a bad church. It was just, I know, if I would have been bringing one of them to church with me, I would have had to have like a little prep session. Okay? Because there's some weird stuff that's going to happen. Because, well, it's church. It's supposed to be weird, right? And I would have had to prep them for that. And then I would have had to have a little debrief afterwards. Okay? So, you know, when sister so-and-so did that, well, she's done that for like 30 years. She's crazy. We know that. But we love her. So, it's okay. Jesus wouldn't do that. No, no, of course not. Jesus doesn't like that. But, but it's sister so-and-so, and we love her. I mean, that was kind of the thing. And, and everything they said was true. And as they were talking, the Lord started talking to me and said, listen to them. You know, it's funny. When you hear people who, after a few weeks, you get to know them, you've had some laughs together, you start to like them. They're, they're not just strangers. This isn't a survey. These are people who are becoming friends. And... Um, God's nudging my heart saying, these people want to know about me. And they don't think they can find out about me at my church. What are you going to do about that? Thank you, Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Radio for Real Life. And if you'd like to hear this full message called A Church for Real Life, it's available right now on demand when you find the sermon series, A Church for Real Life at reallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road right behind Rotama Park, with service times on Saturday nights at 5 and Sundays at 9.30 and 11.15. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262, as Radio for Real Life is a service of River City Community Church. We hope you join us again next time for more Real Life. Do you ever look at your life and feel like you were made for something more? Jesus made a simple statement. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give you abundant life, real life. I talk to a lot of people, and many seem to feel like they're settling for a whole lot less. Hi, I'm Sean Azaro, pastor of River City Community Church, and we are so convinced that we were made for something better. We call ourselves a church for real life. I'd like to invite you to join us for one of our weekend gatherings, which are an exciting and artistic blend of music, reflection, and practical insights, all designed to explore the life that God meant for us. River City is located a mile and a half outside of Loop 1604 on Lookout Road across from Otama Park. Service times are Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 9.30 and 11.15 a.m. River City is a church for real life, so our home on the web is reallife.org. To find out more, visit us online at reallife.org. God created you for something very special. Come find out more at River City Community Church. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.